Welcome to the Smart Thinking Podcast. This is my dad, Ted. Welcome to the Smart Thinking Podcast. I'm your host, Ted Knightsky. Oh, it's fall, baby. In Wisconsin, where I live, we are full-blown pumpkin spice-flavored everything. I even saw an auto repair shop advertising pumpkin spice oil, and I love it. Cool, crisp air, crunchy leaves falling onto the past, and forests looking like they've been painted tangerine, maroon, and banana yellow. I hope the language arts teachers appreciate my word choice there. Well, we are all well into the school year, and everywhere I go, I hear people are just wiped out. We've reflected upon this phenomenon a few times over the course of this year, and I want to give you another mind frame to deal with your current situation, but most importantly, that of others. There seems to be a creeping defeatist tone in some of the schools and workplaces across the country as things keep getting more unpredictable. Yet, there seems to be some optimism on the rise. The news keeps sharing, however, Nostradamus-like predictions of horror. People are getting worn out trying to figure out how to get the work done, how to get to work. Even restaurants are closing for weekends just to give staff time off and let them recuperate from all the shifts they have to take. And yet, we are all looking for ways to ease our lives, but at the same time, oddly disappointing ourselves because we're not back to normal yet. But life is hard, and as Buffaloes, we need to support the journey of others with influence. And that is called leadership. Last week, the grade school I grew up attending, as well as my kids attending, and my wife, well, the principal called me and asked me if I would participate in their readathon. I was like, of course, I love books. I chose to read some fun books to the elementary students, and when I read to the middle school students, I decided to share one of my favorite books that started me on my true journey of optimism. It's the Life is Good book by Burt and John Jacobs, the founders of the Life is Good clothing company. I chose to read excerpts on gratitude and fun because I know how hard it is to be a middle school kid. We've raised two, my wife has taught thousands, and I was a middle school teacher and principal. About halfway through reading with the kids, I felt like I had been hit by a lightning bolt because I looked at the kids in the audience and they looked the same way back at me that adults do. They were very agreeable and yet simultaneously looked confused by my message. I read another part of the book and then shared with the students that life in middle school is hard and that I remember that. I remember being the shortest kid in my class, being picked on for things I couldn't control, and generally being kind of mentally lost during those times. Then I felt like I got struck by lightning again. This time after I said the most difficult part of middle school is eating a pack of Skittles and then two days later having to deal with all the zits. The second bolt of lightning was the epiphany that we are currently in a perpetual state of middle school as adults and leaders, a ton of it being unpredictable and filled with doubt. This thought was solidified after the principal shared with me that one of the boys in the audience sounds just like you. I asked her if I could meet him, and she brought him to the office. Sure enough, here was a kid that was exactly like me, at least physically, when I was his age vertically delayed, I like to say. He was below average for height, but cool, yet insecure, about something he couldn't control. He indicated that people picked on him for his height, and yet loved to play sports and was a basketball and baseball player. He had a, We had a great discussion, and I pulled up a picture on my phone of me in eighth grade and showed him how I was in the front row of our class photo every year, year after year after year, 
with the girls. I also took a second to explain to them that being with those girls was to my advantage. But then I stood up next to him. I asked, how tall his mom and dad were? And he said, well, my dad's like your height and my mom's, my mom's like halfway between you and me. And as we talked, he started to smile and I told him that your body will decide when you grow, but you decide how you'll use your height for your benefit. We smiled and ate gummy worms because they had candy all over the place to keep the kids sugared up during the readathon. And I asked him if he had any other what ifs. And he said, well, what if I'm not as tall as you are when I'm older? And I asked him, what are you afraid of? And he said, I'm afraid of being short. I'm afraid I won't have chances. I told him that short was relative. And then I showed him a picture of my son, Charlie. Now, I'm a little over six feet tall, and my son, Charlie, a current sophomore in college, is five foot nine. I showed him a picture of Charlie charging down a soccer field at a college and told him that Charlie isn't as tall as me, but he's 19 years old, and he's a sophomore, and he's embracing who he is, and he's a varsity college athlete. This little guy looked at me and smiled and said, well, I guess I'm going to be okay. And I said, I guess you are. No more what ifs. I told him a story of a little buffalo that learned to charge into the storm. And we walked out of the office together and I saw him scoot down the hall. I share this with you because I think that the world is currently trapped in a middle schooler's brain and that we are all defining ourselves with what ifs. What if I'm short forever? What if I can't do this anymore? What if I can't get the job done? What if they don't give me a sub? What if there is never a new normal? As adults and leaders, we need answers. And that nasty little voice in our head can overwhelm us with doubt, fear, and anxiety. Then we keep it boiled up inside. And that's when we get ourselves into trouble. Combine that with the lack of normalcy that we're experiencing and the loss of play in our lives, and it spells internal voice overload. So what do we do? because we're going to do something. We have to charge. Well, first, we address the what-ifs with process. Second, we find ways to support each other. And third, we become intentional about recreating normalcy. Too often during prolonged crisis, we look to create paths of least resistance for the people around us. This, I believe, weakens our ability to be tenacious in the future. I liken it to telling a professional athlete that they don't have to train as hard or at all, then throwing them into the competition down the road and wondering why they suddenly don't have the ability to perform at their old level. Let's hit these points one at a time. When I was reading to the students the other day, I read one of my favorite poems that I used to read my kids all the time. Now, one of my morning rituals today is to read poetry to support reflection. Call me romantic, but it really helps warm up my mind and intentionally distract me from the chatter between my ears. You should try it. But I chose to read this poem to the students the other day and use it as a platform to address the trying years of middle school. The poem's called, What Ifs? Last night, while I lay thinking here, some what ifs crawled inside my ear and pranced and partied all night long and sang their same old what if song. What if I'm dumb in school? What if they've closed the swimming pool? What if I get beat up? What if there's poison in my cup? What if I start to cry? What if I get sick and die? What if I flunk that test? What if I grow green hair on my chest? What if nobody likes me? What if a bolt of lightning strikes me? What if I don't grow tall? What if my head starts getting smaller? What if the fish won't bite? What if the wind tears up my kite? What if they start a war? What if my parents get divorced? What if the bus is late? What if my teeth don't grow in straight? What if I tear my pants? What if I never learn to dance? Everything seems swell and then the nighttime what ifs strike again. 
Those are all legitimate worries of, well, for most of us, their worries. So what can we do for those we lead with, for, and support? Well, I would suggest that the next time you have your team together, you punch the elephant in the room with a process. The what-ifs are a real thing, and I love that Shel Silverstein wrote a poem about it for his children and our children. It offers a great opportunity for adults to coach kids, but it also offers the opportunity for adults to coach each other. Can't you just hear yourself as a young parent giving children advice like, it's not worth worrying about that stuff? Or hearing your own mom and dad say to you when you were little, 90% of what you worry about never happens. Make sure if you are feeling like this that you talk about it with other people. Those are things we tell others. And yet, uh, we have this giant elephant in the room. And it's there for most adults and many kids right now. What it is is that elephant's name is what if. What if they cancel school tomorrow? What if the kids never learn how to act or behave because they took a whole year off? What if I get laid off? What if they don't show up for their shift? What if I get overwhelmed? Too often we leave others to deal with their what-ifs. But what if most of us shared the same weird worries? What if many of the people in your organization or the students we serve are already processing the what-ifs and they're driving themselves crazy? A good group is constantly looking for ways to continuously improve. And that's why we close out meetings with a plus delta and wondering process. But the what-ifs, well, that's our opportunity to start out the meeting and address the elephant in the room. You can try to act as normal as possible, but that doesn't mean everyone else is mentally with you in the room, not when the chatter between their ears is filled with what-ifs. A staff meeting, a group meeting, a team meeting, a whatever meeting is almost as unnerving lately as a middle school health classroom the day they address reproduction. It's scary stuff. Here's my recommended process for staff, teams, or groups. Read or print Shel Silverstein's poem and have people look at it and hear it. Then talk about your desire, your desire as a leader, to have us address the what-ifs that are haunting the dendrites in our brains. I'll have this tool for you this week in the TH3, found on CESA6.org. But the process is simple. It has three prompts. The first one is, what if? And then you answer it. You fill out that stem sentence. The second one, I have this on my mind because. And the third one, one thing that can be done to avoid this would be to. Now, do you hear the progression in the coaching? Let's get your worry out. Let's find out why you're worrying. And let's hear a solution. Now, for the second part of the tactic. Once you've had staff complete them, have them hand them to you and put them up on a table face down after they have already been autographed by the author. You see, we're not just going to have people freak out on the paper and then leave them to their own accord. Nope. What you do is after you collect them and put them on the table, you have everyone come up and grab a different one. And that allows everyone to fill out another prompt. Because what we want to do is we want to collect all the responses and multiple responses, and we want people to have the opportunity to do something with it. It allows other people to deal with the what if and coaches them without any confrontation, judgment, or worry of retribution by simply having them write an answer to this prompt. Then we put it back on the table and we share it again in order to collect multiple responses. The prompt is simple. Here's my advice for you. True collaborative coaching, a wisdom of the crowd activity, and most importantly, an opportunity for the entire culture to get engaged in supporting one another. 
There's nothing more empowering than supporting the success of someone you serve next to. And this goes for kids and adults. Imagine if in middle school you learned that everyone, and I mean everyone, was worrying about the same things you were. It would be so freeing. But nope. We all acted cool and held it inside. Fueling our insecurities and making us wonder constantly about, what if I'm the only one who feels this way? Truth is, we all do. The last thing to support a buffalo culture is to look to maintain normalcy. I keep hearing everyone talk about all the things we need to cancel for everyone to provide them more time, more time to relieve some stress and to support them, which I 100% agree with. But honestly, reflect on that for a while. We lose a touch of resiliency when we get too much sympathy, when we have too much time to sit around and think, when we have too many opportunities to fall into the pit of self-pity. Are things hard? Absolutely. But they always are. They're just a little heavier this time. As leaders, the faster we can maintain normalcy, the better. Each time we cancel a meeting, we cancel a chance to collaborate. Each time we reduce an expectation, we make it harder to achieve the next time. Each time we take over for someone, we enable them. And when life goes back to normal, we will have lowered the bar to the point where we may find ourselves unable to get back to the levels of performance we used to have. I'm not trying to sound like some sort of heartless coach here, believe me, but I am asking that you reflect around making it too easy for everyone. Think through what it means to give people more time to be by themselves or with a small team of like-minded colleagues. I believe based upon my experiences with others the last few months that the more time given to be alone creates more and more what-ifs. As a leader, once you've got all the what-ifs collected, give them back and have people process the reality of their worries. Look at the strategies and more importantly, ask people to address what is bothering them. Here's the deal. Just like we were told when we were in middle school by our parents, 90% of what we worry about never happens. And the things that do happen never happen as bad as we convince ourselves that it would. So take a process to the problem and get to taking on that elephant. I mean, come on. This is a great example of charging into the storm. Find out what it is that people are worrying about, address it collaboratively, and then get back to normal. It's a very Buffalo-like thing to do. So let's do some smart thinking. Describe how you address the what-ifs in your head. List the strategies you can employ for others to increase normalcy and high expectations. And describe one way you've addressed your what-ifs. That's it. That's the Smart Thinking Podcast. As always, thank you for listening, and please share this with others on your social media platform. Wait, what if no one shares this? Stop it, Ted. Oh, and a big thank you to the Well Pennies for their great music. They announced their holiday album is coming out on November 8th, and you can pre-order the CD on the Well Pennies website. Finally, what-ifs are a real thing. It's a code for the doubt that sometimes fills our minds and then spirals into crazy and really loud chatter. As leaders, we are obligated to reinforce people's strengths, to listen to those in need, and to grow people. We are also responsible for creating conditions that allow people to process their anxieties with us. As leaders of others and teachers, we frankly create a lot of those what-ifs in the minds of others around us especially if we are hierarchically above them. So, give them a chance to get them out. As we close, I want to share what I did to end my time with the middle schoolers I read to. 
and read you one more poem. It's from a collection of poems from Ian Thomas, and the book is entitled, Every Word I Cannot Say. An eighth grade girl with confidence and intelligence had been asking me great questions throughout my time, and I recognized that she could help me out. So instead of me leaving the kids with a little bit of wisdom, I asked her to read this poem. It's a deep and wisdomatic poem, and I'm going to leave you with it. It's called, Now Listen. You are made of good things. You are capable of incredible things. You are a song the universe sings itself in every color it can imagine. Some parts are sad, some parts are happy. Every part of the song is a part of you. Just listen. Welcome to your life. There's no turning back. Even while we sleep, we will find you acting on your best behavior. Turn Thank you.